Well, good morning everyone. It's good to be here with you, well, in your lounge rooms with you. Uh, this is a bit different, but um, it's great that we have this opportunity. My, li- my uh, wife loves watching Bondi Rescue. Uh, I don't know what it is about the show she likes. From what I can tell, it's, it's a show about people drowning. And uh, I don't know why she likes that. I guess she likes people, seeing people getting uh, saved. Um, when people are drowning, they're sort of doing whatever they can to sort of help themselves stay afloat, keep trying to keep their head above water. Sometimes they try, try and grab something, um, something that's buoyant, something to help them uh, keep their head um, above water. With waves crashing over them, if they don't get help soon, they're going to drown. In Psalm chapter 38, verse 4, in the Good News translation, it reads, I'm drowning in the flood of my sins. We're all stuck in this position. We're all drowning in sin. We all handle it differently, I think. Some of us try to ignore it. Some of us try to hide it. Some of us try with all our might to keep ourselves up. But ultimately... We can't save ourselves. Psalm chapter 18, David describes God reaching down from on high and taking hold of him, drawing him up out of the deep waters. Who is that that's reaching down? Jesus. Jesus is our lifeguard. Jesus is the one that can save us, the only one that can save us. He is the one to cling to. Today we're going to look at a story of a man who knew he was drowning and he went to Jesus to ask him for help. Before we look at it in detail, let's pray. Graciously, Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have. We have to open up your word. What a privilege it is to learn about your son Jesus. May your Holy Spirit give me the words that you want us to hear this morning. Take these words and penetrate them into our hearts for all those that are listening for the sake of your glory. As we learn from you, help us to all become like your son, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's great to be here today. Um, there's lots of people that have made this happen. I want to thank um, Pat Owens. He's been a great champion for this. Um, so thanks, Pat. Andrew Ryder has been working hard. Uh, Andrew Lee's been actively involved. And Liz uh, Pfeiffer as well has been giving her exper- expertise. So thank you. Thank you all. Thanks, Evan, as well, for reading the Bible passage to us earlier on. Um, today we're going to have a closer look at this story in the Bible. And um, so please have your Bibles open with you. Keep them open. Uh, We need to refer back to them, and so have them there with you. Today's Bible passage teaches us many things, but I want to draw out three things. I want to focus on three. One, what, what must I do to be saved? Two, why is it hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And three, how can I become more like Christ with what he has given me. 
We've been focusing on that here at Monty, how we can become more like Christ. And that's what we're going to focus on as well. So firstly, what must I do to be saved? As you will have picked up when Evan read this, this is a narrative of a man who uh, asked Jesus about eternal life. Who is this man? We don't know his name, but we know from verse 18 he was a ruler, probably a ruler of a synagogue or a member of the Sanhedrin. Based on his diligence, he displays, the following, he displays uh, in following the law, quite possibly he was a Pharisee. This story is also recorded in Matthew and Mark. And from what we read there also, we find that he's regarded as young. I guess that's why the story is known as the rich young ruler. After addressing Jesus as good teacher, a title of respect, he asked what good deed he must do to have eternal life, to enter the kingdom of heaven, to be saved. People all over the world throughout time um, have wanted to know this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? The rich man was thinking in terms of earning his salvation, earning his merit of eternal life. Just before this incident, Jesus told a story that described two men, the parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee um, was convinced that he was going to heaven, whereas the tax collector, he beat his chest and, and cried out, what a sinner I am. What does Jesus say about these two men? Jesus exemplifies the tax collector and says he went home saved. So why didn't Jesus say to this young man, I've come to die for your sins. I'm your saviour. You just need me. Believe in me. See, the young man doesn't think he has a problem just like a lot of other people that live here in Melbourne. I don't need a rescuer. I'm a good person. And despite his confidence, the ruler's not 100% convinced of his salvation. That's why he's going to Jesus. Jesus being the wonderful counsellor he is, he responds both both, uh, theologically and, and personally. Firstly, Jesus speaks theologically. Why are you calling me good? Jesus picks him up on this. The man would know the scriptures and know that we can't live up to um, God's expectations, God's standard. Psalm 130 says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? No one is righteous, no one is good. If he was good, then he must be God, since only God is essentially good. Jesus wasn't denying that he was good, or that he was God, but he was trying to lead the young ruler to confess that he needed God's help. Why did the young ruler ask this question? He knew that all the teachers of the law, all the rabbis would say, obey the statutes of God, avoid sin. But in his arrogance, there's still some doubt. If you believe you can get right with God by living a good life, deep down, you're going to feel insecure because you know things. 
You know things about yourself. You know things that no one else does. If you're trying to get right with God by being righteous, you'll either put other people down, point out other people's mistakes, or you'll put yourself down. Nobody can do it. In taking the ruler back to the Ten Commandments, um, that's, what, that's how Jesus responds. He, gives, uh, he lists the first five commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony and honour your father and mother. Jesus was not implying that he could ever be saved by keeping the law. Rather, he was using the law in an effort to convict, convict the man of sin. Look at how he responds with confidence. Verse 21. All these I have kept since I was a boy. The man spoke sincerely. He honestly thought that he was keeping the law. But it was all an outward show. It was all things to do with um, what other people saw. Now Jesus, being the great counsellor he is, he makes it personal. Like the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus knows what he still lacks, what he still needs. He knows what is holding him back. He knows what the primary problem is. So that when the rich man says, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young, Jesus replies, okay, let me touch the idol of your life, your possessions, your wealth. One thing you lack, and that is getting rid of this idol. See that see the all you possess? Distribute all the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. By the way, by the way when we read this, this account in, in Mark, it says, uh, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. Jesus wasn't intending to shame him or sort of to point out his failures and for him to understand the the spiritual depth of of the commandments. No, no. He had a a genuine expression of, of love for him. But we're shocked by how Jesus responds. Jesus says to give all that he had away and to follow follow him. He doesn't say this to anybody else. In his conversations with the women at the well, Jesus never mentions money or possessions. When Jesus spends time with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, Zacchaeus is blown away by the love of Jesus. He recognises Jesus as Lord and gives only half of his possessions away and pays back those that he cheated. Don't get me wrong, half is still a significant amount, but it's only half. And yet Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Today, salvation has come to to this man. So why does Jesus tell this young ruler to give away everything? The young ruler was putting his hope, his security, and his identity in his possessions. If we trust in Jesus and no other person or thing, so much that we believe he can provide for our every need, then we have real faith.
that's what eternal life is all about. What are you looking for that only God can give? Your security, your identity, your purpose. What is God squeezing? What is squeezing God out of His place? Do you love God more than anything else? What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. This young man couldn't even get past the first one. Verse 23 says, He became very sad. Sad because he wasn't giving it up. What must I do to be saved? Jesus says to surrender everything. Surrender our ambitions, our desires, all that we have, and follow him. What's our response? When we say, I've given my life to Jesus, have we given it all? Are you still holding on to something? Do you trust Jesus with everything? Do you trust Jesus that he can save you? This leads into our next section. Why is it hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Why is it hard for rich people to put their faith in Jesus? In verse 24, Jesus says, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for, the, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is using a metaphor of impossibility. Camels were the largest land animal in, uh, known in the Palestine uh, area of those days. The eye of a sewing needle is quite small, I reckon. I struggle getting uh, a thread through it, let alone pushing a camel through it. The other week we were, we were camping and I was um, packing things up and there were sleeping bags there and I looked at sleeping bags and looked at the bag that they're supposed to go in and um, it was, you know, I struggled to fit them in. I remember back in the day, um, I was told, you know, you've got to roll them out, uh, roll them up. Someone else has got to be sitting on it. Another person's going to be getting the bag, squashing it in. Um, I guess sleeping bags have changed a little these days. You just sort of shove them in and uh, they sort of all, all kind of fit. It's like all camping equipment. Look at this tent and then this bag that's supposed to go in. How's it going to fit? Um, but thanks to Evan, he helped us out and uh, we were able to get it in. Don't think camels have changed much in their time though. I think uh, it would still be a struggle to push a camel through the eye of a needle. As the disciples thought about all this, they began to wonder who then can be saved. To them, riches had always been a sign of God's blessing. Let's, uh, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you've got your Bibles there, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. I want to re- read um, some verses. It talks about God's blessing. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Starting at verse 1, it says, 
If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock. The calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket, your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the the enemies will rise up against you and will will be defeated before you. You They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in, in seven the Lord will send a blessing on your barns and everything, and everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. So if rich Jews aren't saved, then who can be? All salvation is a miracle. Jesus answers, Jesus answers that God can do what man cannot, cannot do. God does the impossible. In other words, God can take a greedy, grasping, ruthless materialist, remove his love for God of gold and substitute it for a true love for the Lord. It's a miracle of divine grace. Why does he pick on why does he pick on rich people? Well sin has enhanced sin is enhanced by money. Last week Josh mentioned um, three of the greatest temptations and falls of humanity. Do you remember what they were? Possessions, power and pride. Money and great wealth has the capacity to give you possessions, power and pride. Proverbs tells us if you work hard, you will make money. Wealth is good. Yet it puts red flags around money. Incredible good, incredibly good, but incredibly dangerous. Money has the power to corrupt. It can make you ruthless. Money can even blind you. Let's have a look at to see what King Solomon says about money. With the Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll read some insightful um, statements made by King Solomon, one of the richest people of his time. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting at verse 10, it says, Whoever loves money never has enough. The more you have, the more you want. Continuing on. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. The more you have the less you are satisfied. Verse 11. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. The more you have, the more people, including the government, will come after it. Continue on. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on? The more you have, the more you realise it does you no good. Verse 12, the sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them to sleep. The more you have, the more you worry about it. 
verse 11. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, well forwarded to the, har- to the harm of its owners. The more you have, the more you hurt yourself by holding on to it. Verse 14. Uh, wealth lost through some misfortune. The more you have, the more you can lose. Verse 15. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. The more you have, the more that will be left behind. What am I really here for? No one on their deathbed says they wish they spent more time at work. Here's some statements of some wealthiest people of their day. This is from John Jacob Astor. I am the most miserable man on earth. John D. Rockefeller. I have made many millions, but they brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie. Millionaires seldom smile. Henry Ford. I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. It's a delusion to think if you have if you have money, you are safe. Just look at the world economy right now. Proverbs chapter 30 verses 8 and 9 says, Give me only my daily bread, otherwise I have too much and disown you. And say, who is the Lord? Being rich gives you the temptation to feel like you don't need God. It brings pride. Who is the Lord? I don't need him. If you really drive yourself to get rich, you're in for dreadful consequences. If your goal in life is to make money, you're going to ruin your family, your home and your life. The whole world will be twisted if you're serving a rival God. Jesus said it very clearly, you cannot serve both God and money. So who is rich today? Does Jesus mean us here in Monty? I googled how rich am I? I found a website titled Giving What, I, Giving what We Can to give me a global perspective. So if you're living here in Australia and you and your family's taking home, it's both people working, if you're taking home $50,000 a year, then you are in the 16% richest people in the world. 16%. 50,000. I'm sure a lot of other pe- I'm sure a lot of people earn more than 50,000 around here. If your family's taking away taking home 75,000 um, a year, you're in the top 10%. If you're taking home 100,000, you're in the top 6% of the world's richest people. I hope that gives some perspective. Chuck Swindle wrote, I do not know of a sin that is more in vogue in this generation than greed. I challenge each of you to come to terms with greed. We live in a culture that always wants more. We are always dashing about to keep up with the Joneses. Greed stood in the way of this young man's ability to follow Jesus. Don't let it get in the way of yours. I want to recommend a book. It's written by Randy Acorn. 
It's called the Treasure Principle. You may have read it. Randy Acorn is an American evangelical Christian author. He's written more than 60 books. He's pretty good. He's a New York Times bestseller. I have five copies to give away. Please let me know if you'd like one. When I say it's an easy book, it doesn't have many pages, but it's very challenging. Please, come and see me if you would like a copy. I'd love to give one to you. His research has discovered that um, 15% of what Jesus said was about money and possessions. 15%. More than his teaching on heaven and hell combined. To quote from his book, he says, Our approach to money and possessions is central to our spiritual lives. He notices that when people surrender their lives to Jesus, they surrender their wealth and possessions too. To give you an example, John the Baptist was preaching in the desert. Among the crowds that gathered to hear him, three different groups of people um, asked him, asked how they should uh, repent. And John gave these answers. One, everyone should share clothes and food with the poor. Two, tax collectors shouldn't pocket extra money. And three, soldiers should be content with their wages and not extort money. The New Testament has numerous accounts of people who are repenting and giving their lives to Jesus and as a result, giving their possessions and wealth away. So how do we respond to Jesus? Ask yourself, Five minutes after I die, what will I wish I will have given away while I still had a chance? Do what's right. Give and feel God's good pleasure. Regret will only hurt your soul in the end. The last section, how can I become more like Christ with what God has given me? Let's get out of our head that money we have belongs to us. We are God's stewards. It's not ours, it's all his. We were brought at a price and we belong to him. Where can we get our inspiration from? As far as we know, the rich young ruler didn't respond. He walked away sad. But there is another rich young ruler in this story who we can emulate. emulate. Can you see him? He was rich, more than you can imagine. He was young, probably about 33. He was a ruler. His kingdom never ends. Can you see him? It's Jesus. Jesus had all he had and yet gave it all Gave it all up. He went into poverty, deeper than anyone else can imagine. That's why he can call us. He calls us to come and follow him. I've I've already been stripped of my glory in heaven. Soon I'll be stripped of my friends, my relationship with my father, my clothes, my life. He cries out from the cross. He's given up everything. Who did he give it up to? 
He gave it up to the poor, the broken, the needy. He didn't tithe his blood. He gave it all. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, so that you through his poverty, might become rich. He was drained of all his riches. So let's look to Jesus. Let's rejoice in him. Let's get excited about him. Let's be moved by him. When we do that, that drains all the power of money. So let's look to Jesus, first thing. What are some other practical steps that we can take to become more Christ-like? Giving is the only antidote to materialism. Remember that money isn't all that you can give. You can give your time, you can give wisdom, even your expertise. They're wonderful gifts to share. Let's be creative. We're in the middle of a pandemic, a global crisis. How can we be generous to our community? People around us are living in fear. A natural reaction is to become selfish and to make sure we have everything we need. But as followers as Jesus... We know he's got our back. Let's show the world he wants to provide for them. I find it remarkable that God planned for this message to be given on this day, knowing what would be unfolding around the world. These steps are absolutely true for me too. Because we live here in Monty, in Australia, let's assume that we all need help. Let's assume that we're all under the influence of greed. Whatever age you are, whatever financial position you are in, we are all under the influence. I want you to assume with me. Assume that the amount of money you think you need to you need is more than you actually really need. I'll say it again. I want you to assume the amount of money you think you need is more than you really need. And also, assume the amount of money you give away is less than you could actually give away. The amount of money you give away is actually less than what you could actually give away. So let's take this serious. Let's have a plan. I want you to sit down and write down what percentage are you giving away? If you're listening to this at home, you can do this now. What are you giving away? What are you giving away to the poor, to the church, outside your family? It's the first, first thing. What are you giving away? Two, if it's not 10%, and when I say 10%, the Old Testament standard was 10%. We live in the New Testament. 10% is only a benchmark. New Testament standards is, is, is higher. So if we're not giving 10%, how can I move 
move aggressively towards it this year. If you are giving 10%, how can you give more? Number three, what sacrifices are you going to give up? If you're not being sacrificial, then you're not, you're not giving enough. Number four, decide where it's going to go and hold yourself accountable. Have a, have a way to make sure you follow this through. Talk about it with your wife. Talk about it in your small groups. Make this happen. They're the four steps. Make it happen. How am I going to motivate you to do that? As I said before, look to Jesus. He's a true, rich, young ruler. He's your motivation. He is the reason you live. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you that you love us so much. That you sent your son Jesus from heaven, who had it all, to come down to earth, to be made poor, to be stripped of all his glory, to die on a cross to save us. What an example. Father, I pray that you will uh, reach into our hearts, Lord, and stir us up. Father, help us to be men and women that are generous, that are generous for you. Help us to be um, to let go, to let go of all our all our possessions, all our wealth, for your glory. Because we want to see your kingdom come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the. Uh, Monty CC Monty Community Church uh, live stream. We hope you have a, uh, a great week, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Bye.